So we're live. Rich, I have a question before we get to anything else. Yeah. Why are you so red? I don't know. I think it's the webcam. I look a little red today. Maybe it's a uh, little red. It looks like it's the middle of August and you are outside for eight straight hours without <laughs> sunscreen. It is not that hot out oh, that's yet. Better. Yeah, but I, it keeps. No, no, now it's it, not. It, see, I don't understand. Like, it's definitely going in and out in terms of like how it's it's. All right, we're we're gonna have to my deal color. with it. And now you're I'm gonna just do this. To I'm gonna look at Walt instead for most of the time. Walt is definitely in a better mood than he was last Friday when his Verizon internet went down and he was losing his mind. How did that get resolved, Walter? Uh, well, first, I guess I did, in fact, lose my mind. Um, <laughs> what else is new? <laughs> and even though, this is an, <laughs> even though this is an essential service, apparently all, all customer care stores close at some time it is not an essential service type of time. So I went into panic mode, tried to, to uh, turn on back on my optimum, even though I had all of my equipment, they could not flip the switch just to turn me on. They had to send a guy out seven days later to look at me through the door to, to flip a switch. So I actually tried to cancel that and that didn't cancel. I didn't even tell you about this. Then I thought we were going to basically be doing Daniel Eck interview literally from a parking lot on a hotspot. That's what I was figuring you were going to do. Yeah, Monday's interview. It was terrible. I will say this. We're in the middle of earnings season now and Charter had a really, really good uh, quarter. And I had a problem with my internet back when I, when I was in the city and they – the customer service was pretty awesome. They were at my home at night within two hours of me calling up and bitching. And they got everything fixed pretty quickly. Maybe they know where you work. The people, <laughs> the, the, the people that work for Optimum are great. The, the back office systems are horrendous. Rich had the same issue when he tried to use them on the wireless service. The back office systems are horrendous. Verizon was fine. It ended up being my issue because apparently on that reset button, you're not supposed to hold it down for like 10 seconds. It's like a 20 second. Yeah, it's a 20. I learned that also. These things that we're learning as we spend more time at home are pretty awesome. Okay. Um, it is embarrassing, though, that it was. Mr. Red Face wants us to get down to business. So why don't you start us with our first slide, Richard? Okay, this let's is a go. PSA on how to make the internet work. <laughs> you guys are killing me. So the first slide we've got, uh, Brandon, why don't you introduce this? Uh, well, I guess this is from Live Nation's earnings call last night. This is uh, Michael Rapino. I believe the clip that we have here is one of the last things he said on the call. So let's hear it. So we want to be smart. We don't want to rush. Um, we're playing long ball. Um, you know, one of the one of the realities is we and AEG are the two companies that can withstand this storm as long as it plays, and we're going to play for the long safety of the business. So we're not looking to rush um, and, and provoke any new new spread of the virus. We want to do it smart with local participation. I th I think Michael's saying a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, the thing that stands out the most to me is that he said when this is all over on the other side of the pandemic in the live music business there's only going to be two companies that really survive it's live nation and it's aeg they are live nation and the industry is being affected more than 
pretty much any other industry right There's a lot of small players, right? I mean, there's still lots of little players all over the world. Yeah, I mean, Live Nation's strategy over the last, I don't know, decade has been to continuously roll up all of these, quote, mom and pop um, promoters and smaller ticketing companies globally. And the reality is that none of them are going to be be there when this is when this is all over. So it makes sense strategically, and I know that Michael is much more interested in safety, and that's why they're slow rolling everything, despite the fact that they're really taking it on the chin right now. But strategically, you know, it, it doesn't hurt that your competition is going away uh, over this time period. And the other thing that kind of really stuck out from this call is the business might have a different margin profile on on the other side of this. They talked about, they've done a number of furloughs, so on and so forth, really rationalized the cost structure to save cash. But when we get to the other side of this, I don't think a lot of those employees are coming back, number one. You think it'll just be a smaller business overall? Yeah, I think it's going to be... I think Rapino called it like a leaner machine or something like that, a lean, mean, you know, driving machine. I don't, I don't know what it was. I think um, it's fighting machine. Fighting, whatever, I, you know. Um, anyway, so you have that. The other thing is the talent has really held the cards in this business forever. And, and Live Nation, AG, whoever, mom pops, whoever the promoters are, have paid them real guarantees it sounds to me like now there's movement in these contracts where there's there's a risk sharing that's occurring between the promoter and the artist and again there's going to be less promotion competition that's there so this is going to be a fundamentally much better business when they get to the other side it's the key being when we have no idea when nor do they right so we have no idea when live events are gonna you know start to take place again in earnest um that's a problem but you already have the next one up and i think it's more about reopening why don't you take this one walt soccer's finally coming back a good friend of mine and i are trying to pick which team that we're going to support when it starts next week hopefully it will um milestones we're looking for milestones now right how many weeks were left of the season when they stopped I would guess a couple of weeks, but um, same thing for EPL. Um, hopefully, no, no word on EPL though. We've heard nothing. I think this is going to be a pretty focal point for the sports world, right? Although there's no fans, it's a pretty focal point. What else we got that's opening up, Rich? Opening up, uh, you know, I think the the hottest topic right now in media is this one. So you, what you're looking at right here on screen, this is the gates of how there's you're going to be nothing so- there. Well, you're going to be socially distanced at Shanghai Disneyland when it opens oh. up next Monday. Tickets went on sale. Uh, there was a short period of time where everyone thought tickets sold out instantly. It, it actually turns short? out that it wasn't short that time. short. It was like all day. Yeah, a few hours. Yeah, a few hours. People thought it was sold out. It doesn't seem like it is. I think what people have to remember is two things that are really important to keep in mind. First, they're not selling anywhere near capacity. It looks like they're releasing some number of tickets. Um, to a, you know, they can't sell more than 30% of a normal day. So 24,000 tickets is the max. And they said they were going to kind of stage that. So my guess is on day one or two, it's a small fraction of those tickets. But I think what's really interesting topically is, is really relating what Disney's doing 
to what Live Nation's doing. And it's worth noting that the, the fixed cost assets that Disney have are very different than Live Nation. You know, Disney's really well, under Live the Nation does have <laughs> quite a lot of fixed costs that we heard on the call yesterday. They're going to, you know, spend $150 million a month um, in cost, but nothing on, on the magnitude of Disney. Disney loses $38 million or so a day when their parks are closed with until they furloughed people. With the furlough, it's probably down to call it, you know, you're probably in the area of sub $10 a day, but you know, $10 million every single day, all the parks are closed. But I think what's interesting is just how Live Nation is basically saying, look, we're not ready yet. This is not the right environment to start just reopening up to thousands of people at shows. And yet, you know, Shanghai Disneyland is going to be really the first large scale venue to open up to large number of people. No word yet on any other park, but this is certainly interesting that Disney's kind of doing first mover in terms of opening up a, a large attendance venue, especially one that has people of all different ages, um, kind of all kind of clustered about in, in a relatively confined area. So we'll see how well that goes as it starts off next week. Rich, speak, speaking of Disney and cells, you went, you went back to uh, the tried and true cell rating on Disney this week. That was probably the biggest thing that's happened in media. Uh, look, you know, the reality is everything has a price and um, you know, it, it just, it feels like even if Disney's parks reopen, attendance is going to be a fraction of what they thought. I still can't figure out when movie and TV production are really going to start. And, you know, it, just every part of their business is under pressure. And so it's very hard to imagine how earnings expectations get even close to what the street has. And so that was really the driver of the yeah. sell rating is just numbers are way, way too high. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on um, to more kind of our, our kind of the, the story of Verizon, Walt. Well, I was going to say other stuff that's closing, whether it's, uh, this is talking about opening and you're talking about Shanghai. I mean, I think, look, it's probably like an avalanche type of situation, right? Everyone's waiting for the first guy to go. Shanghai's one, you know, Verizon, they were at 30% of their stores were open. They went to 42% this week, going to 50%, um, which by the way, Verizon's doing a great job at like connecting with people on Instagram. That's how we got it, kind of got this data point that, that popped up, which um, now light reading picked up on. Are people going into the stores to buy phones yet? I mean, I know you've written about how almost all phones are sold in stores. Prepaid stores are open. So people are going to stores. So, I mean, the other thing to open up is also Apple stores. We're just seeing news break this afternoon about how Apple stores now granted it's like, you know, a couple of States, not necessarily highly population dense States. Um, what was it like Alaska, Alabama, South Alabama. Yeah. South Dakota. South Carolina, Carolina was in there. South Carolina was in there. That was the one that surprised I think, me. I, thought I think there day. was, I think one of the Dakotas was, was in there. So yeah. anyway, but look, I mean, stores, part of this is like, this is how it's at, like it's starting to happen, right? So now the question is, were we away long enough or are people not going to come in stores where purchasing decisions have changed? And we've asked that question to operators. Verizon has kind of been you know, back and forth on a T-Mobile effectively dodged the question on their earnings call. Um, didn't take that question in terms of like, you know, is this a change? Cause Mike Sievert, the new CEO of T-Mobile is like all bowled up on like stores historically. Is there a change? Relevance, clearly dish new entrant in the market. People have criticized it for not having distribution in the market. 
maybe this is the perfect storm in terms of people getting more comfortable with buying things online and a DTC, direct-to-consumer type of, of uh, sales cycle, which hasn't worked for Google, Project Fi, and um, well, I guess you could say it actually is actually starting to work for the cable companies, right? Cable companies are also direct-to-consumer. And if anything, what we saw in the reports is that they are gaining traction. And that's more of a, a DTC product than anything. So I get an email from Charter pitching me on Spectrum Mobile literally multiple times a week. I mean, oh, I get snail mail also. But look at their numbers. I mean, their sub numbers were actually pretty good. It looks like they're finally gaining traction. The consumer believes that they've been in the market. They're more comfortable with buying DTC. So this historical structure of people having 70% of sales, 80% of sales of people walking into stores when they haven't had stores for the last couple of months, maybe that's a change for Dish and this kind of opens the door for Dish. Is there any markets anywhere else in the world where it's the, the inverse, where people do buy online? They go through retail, so it's not, it's not operator stores, but it's still retail stores and maybe retail stores have more yeah. online. Um, anyway, what did you think of the, the Dish Pay TV numbers, Rich? The dish pay, I mean, forget about the dish numbers. I mean, the dish numbers were obviously not great, but I think the, the headline for the week, which is just mind blowing, 2 million people cut the cord in Q1 and COVID was really only what, two weeks? Yeah. Uh, people didn't lose their jobs in March. I mean, so what's sort of just staggering, I mean, I remember last year when we were sort of like, oh my God, a million. And Brandon and I were like, you know, I can't even believe a million people. We, the, the good luck bundle finally kind of became true. And now <laughs> we've gone from a million to two million in a quarter. And all signs, I mean, literally every single signal is that Q2 is going to be worse than Q1. And so, you know, can, when you this, think about it, can this industry lose eight plus million subs in a year? I mean, you I mean that's a mind-blowing amount considering where we are in, in terms of total subs. We're starting to get to like 10%. It, it is, I mean, right, because you're starting with 81, 82 for the industry coming into the year. So yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you know, you're almost, call it 8 plus percent declines heading towards maybe 10% in 2021. I mean, this is bad. And I think it kind of plays into what Charlie talked about on on the Dish Earnings call, which is, this, you know, ratings are down, viewership is down, even before COVID. You know, Roku on their conference call said, even during COVID, 18 to 34 year olds are watching 15 or more percent less television during prime time. Now, some of that's sports, but Charlie's point was, look, pricing needs to come down. You, you can't pay the same price for a cable network, like whether it's Viacom or CBS or ESPN, you can't pay the same price that you were five years ago when you did your last deal. Pricing needs to come down or this whole business model is just gonna crack. Let's keep in mind their service revenue was up, their EBITDA was up 10%. And you know, going into the quarter, you had people wondering like, oh, can they pay their debt? Can they buy boost? Clearly some analysts can't figure out how to look at a balance sheet and see that the cash, you have to actually add the marketable securities to the cash and they had it's sort of like AT&T though, isn't it? It's a similar issue to AT&T generating- Let's stay with Dish for a second, okay. Rich. Forget about AT&T. Because the concern on Dish was that they can't finance anything and they weren't going to have enough money to pay their debt. They just paid the debt. They're going to buy Boost. They're still going to have cash and they can do lease deals in order to fund this thing. And then there's this, this bare thesis on this, this company in that like, oh, you're going to have to come up with $10 billion as, as if like, oh, because Verizon spends $10 billion, that's how much it costs you to build a network. It doesn't work that way. Call a vendor. It doesn't work that way. So- Forgive the diatribe on Dish, but like that's why the stock's up 10% today. You had this bear thesis pushed 
when you, you didn't even look at the balance sheet in terms of how much cash they have and how a build it actually works for the company. Let's talk video games. Brandon, go. That's a lot of stats that are here, but I, I think if there's one thing to tie them all together, it's that there's a ton of engagement in video games right now. I mean, this Animal Crossing um, number, that 13 million units, I think that's the best for, uh, for a, a Switch release uh, within six weeks. Warzone, which is um, the Call of Duty um, free-to-play free to Battle Royale game, hit 60 million users, and Fortnite just continues to dominate. I, everyone is is talking about, well, you know, Fortnite's influence isn't what it used to be, and there's been some complaints about what's happening in the core game. The fact of the matter is that uh, Fortnite's becoming a bigger platform. There's a lot more to it, as we saw with the Travis uh, Scott concert last week, and, pe and people are hanging out and spending time in these games, not necessarily doing things that are competitive. Is free-to-play, is, like, is, is this the, the moment for free-to-play? Like, is this the, is this the I inflection I don't point? Think this is, I, I don't think this is necessarily the moment for free-to-play. I, I think that there's been an evolution in the West that's really started with these uh, battle royale games, and it was it was Fortnite first. Then you saw Apex last year, and now Activision has finally done something free to play with their kind of most prized uh, possession. Their year in and year out tried and true twenty plus million unit. Um, uh, Call of Duty. Um, do I think that this is a turning point in free-to-play? No. I think what's more interesting than free-to-play is how people are using video games. And they've always kind of been social, or for a long time, they've been social networks among core players. But you have much more casual players hanging out in games, um, just whether it's, you know, hanging out with their friends or um, or playing much more casually um, than what we think of as video games, which is what you've seen in Animal Crossing and some of the behavior that's allowed Fortnite to become more popular than it was. It's just sort of amazing just how much time I look at my kids and whether it's Fortnite or whether it's Roblox, I mean, it is just gobbling up time and this Animal Crossing is breaking in too. Like, what it's what just, about money, Rich? How much money are your kids spending on Robux? Uh, I, I mean, I, I should scroll through the requests. I mean, the requests just keep coming in. Can you get me Robux? Can you get me V-Bucks? I mean, it's literally, and they keep requesting. Like, if I don't say yes, I get yet another request, like, multiple times a day until I'm sort of, like, battered down to agree to it. They must it's a lot of money. They must have some really deep pockets, but right? It's just interesting because, like, it used to be all, can you buy me this game? You know, kind of kind of like a, a, I mean, a download so of a game. Red. He's just getting, you know. I'm yeah, getting that's why he's so red. He's lit up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Okay, let's go on. Uh, what do we His got His wallet's next? on fire. Walt, we got two and a half G. I mean, again, this goes back to, to gigahertz. the 5G battle at the end of the, first of all, are either you going to buy a phone because of it's, it being 5G or just because it's the latest phone? No, I get the new phone when it comes out. That's it. 
I don't... So what's on the screen is a, a, a tweet from someone talking about T-Mobile's launch for those that might be just listening. Um, I mean, this is the battle to say who can have the fastest 5G for when you buy your phone and to what you were just saying, Brandon, like it may not even matter to you in terms of whether you're buying it or not. It, it, the challenge is gonna be, you know, this deal got delayed so long, T-Mobile's gotta do a lot of stuff. And SBA, one of the tower companies, on their, call to, on their call this week was talking about how they're not gonna see some of those activations in the first part of next year. If that's true, Verizon's set up pretty nicely to have a pretty good version of 5G when the iPhone launches at the end of the year. So like, how is it typical? How do you, if you're evaluating, if you're even thinking about switching, what are you gonna do? Go to CNET and, and check out who's got the fastest 5G? How do you typically buy a phone? Um, I just, buy the new Apple phone, the new iPhone when it comes out. And with I your existing what carrier. size screen I want. I have your, Verizon. With your, right. well, I changed carriers this year though. I mean, you finally, you know, you, you, after too many years of tormenting me, I mean, it was time to go to T-Mobile and I'll tell you, all five family members now are extremely happy they made the switch. Look, the hope was they were gonna get that 2.5 spectrum that he was talking about in that tweet deployed. It was gonna be super fast and they were gonna go after broadband. I mean, that will be the goal for T-Mobile at some point. And when it happens, then you've got speeds that are as fast as broadband. So forget about whether you switch your Verizon. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're in your apartment and you're not using broadband, you're not gaming, like, is it gonna be enough if someone's gonna charge you 40 bucks a month and they're delivering you 300 megabits of download speed? Well, that brings up this slide, right? What is this? Jeez. Basically, it's a noisy chart <laughs> of a good study from Open Signal that showed basically that 5G, where it's launched, is faster than the Wi-Fi speeds that are getting. So I, I get that there's a question on speed and capacity, but if a wireless operator... But hold on. Is, this is telling me that I'm going to get down speed on 5G in the UK. If I went to the UK right now, I would get 138 megs downstream that's faster than what I'm getting on my wired connection in my house right now. Otherwise known as Wi-Fi. They're just defining wired as Wi-Fi in this scenario. Although, listen, typically Wi-Fi slows down a wired connection depending on what type of Wi-Fi router you have. If you're getting the cable guy's Wi-Fi. But should I move to Saudi Arabia? Is that the takeaway from this slide, 291? No, Rich, that's the point of the, the slide before that. Once this spectrum get deployed, you're gonna have these types of speeds. There might be a debate whether there's gonna be enough capacity, but if they design the technology to, let's just simplify it, focus a beam of capacity to your home where there's a box. Maybe don't, maybe don't say that because then I'll more people burning down the, the cell sites for fear of 5G COVID related. Again, it's like you, we can debate price and everything, right. but if the, speed, if the speed is there and the price is there and they're not gonna cap your, your data rates, for some people, obviously, that have high usage, lots of teenagers, gaming, streaming, whatever, yeah, that's not applicable. But by the second half of next year, there's a good section of the customer base that T-Mobile or even Verizon could start to attack with their version of 5G. And that's- It's just, it's just interesting, because I don't think anybody, you know, certainly when you listen to the cable executives talk about the risk of 5G as a replacement for their base, I mean, they don't, they just literally, you know, say it's just not, it's just not a risk. I mean, they totally do not believe that that risk exists, but I also don't think that, you know, they believe that there's enough spectrum and enough quality bandwidth to, to replicate what was on that slide. 
I mean, at least Star, in the US. Star, Starry is signing up customers today. They're using wireless spectrum. I mean, it's, you know, you're using wireless over Wi-Fi. Yep. So it's just Wi-Fi to a different location that's further, that's perhaps using more spectrum. And as that last slide just showed, in many cases, you're probably getting a faster speed that way than you would from your Wi-Fi. Now look, application-wise, the way it'll work is it'll be a box in your house, then it'll redistribute in your house via Wi-Fi. Um, but that's what's coming. Look, it's not So happening. if I get, if I get a, a 5G phone, let's just say Apple launches the 5G phone in September and I get a 5G phone, T-Mobile's gonna have 5G service in New York and I'm gonna get 5G speeds in September or not yet? They have to deploy this spectrum. That's, that was that last slide. We're seeing parts of it in New York. Is that 2.5? That 2.5. 2 2.5 gold. <laughs> All right, let's move the on. Treasure trove. No, once <laughs> one, it's it's just it's going to take. So cable is not going to get hurt in 2020. It's not going to get hurt in the first half of 2021. In the second half of 2021, they're going to offer some people some broadband, T-Mobile, and then as Verizon gets more spectrum, they have to get more spectrum in that C-band auction. Perhaps improved by some spectrum from Legato. Maybe not. We'll see how that that plays out. That's, that brings you a true 5G service that, you know, look, one of the many applications will be broadband replacement. It's coming. It's coming. Okay, let's go. Brandon, why don't you talk about this one? Um, I've, I've literally no idea what this is about. Uh, welcome back, stream show. I assume this is about Billions, that Billions is coming back. I didn't even finish the last season of Billions. So um, I guess I should get to that first. But basically, the slide shows Showtime's available for ten ninety nine. Restart your subscription, and it was Peter Kafka who tweeted this. And it, he goes, "It's that time of year again." And I think the the point here, right, is you can now click on and off of TV with the click of a button. It's you know, it's literally click the restart yeah. your subscription. It, you don't have to subscribe for the full year. You don't have to call up Charter or Comcast or Directv and be on hold for a couple of hours and fight. It's literally point click and you're on and off. And I think that's a pretty dramatic change. And I think you're seeing it, um, you know, I think these VMVPDs, this is the first time ever that the, you know, the, basically the Hulu Lives uh, and YouTube TVs grew in the quarter, but all the other VMVPDs all declined. And I think part of it is it's just so easy to cancel your service yeah. or pause your subscription now. There was so much friction yeah, before and yeah, all that no friction's friction. gone. No friction whatsoever. And no, look, there's no and, and if you're a premium service, that friction allowed you to have a couple of key shows throughout the year, and you could keep the, uh, the subscriber throughout the whole year. It's just not going to be that way anymore, which is why you've seen HBO, one of the reasons, move to the max strategy, yep. where there's a lot more content, and it's, and it's much broader. My kids why? cannot wait for Friends. Sorry, so part of, so part of the issue. Didn't they already watch it on Netflix. They want to watch it again and again oh, and again. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. So if, if part of this is get a popular show to to bring you in, and then spread it out, right? Because if you're going to sign up to get your billions now, I'm going to get my free month, but I'm going to have to. I assume it's going to be enough shows that it'll extend me into at least paying for one month. So why is it that Netflix is kind of? Uh, I'll just exactly. I'll just I'll just tell you I watched Homeland all within the 30 days. I waited until week seven, and then I binged it and finished it within the month. And then you then you turned off. You're cheap. 
But if you, let, let's assume you, let's assume Netflix, let, let's think about this. If, had Netflix waited or spread out that Tiger awful show that was like for a period of two months and you had waited to save whatever it was to subscribe in month two, by the time it got to month two, you wouldn't even bother to watch. You would have waited to, to pay for the one month of binge and then it had already kind of, it would have been its flash in its pan kind of rise and fall and that would have been the end of it and you probably wouldn't have watched it. Some shows you need to watch yeah. as they come out. But the question more was, why doesn't Netflix spread them out as to help them with any churn issues that they may have? Why, why are they dumping entire well, seasons? Well, Net Netflix is a different situation because there's so much content on Netflix that they don't really have to worry about that. One of the reasons that HBO has had to, had to continue to spread stuff out is because there wasn't that much other content at once. I mean, the slide I just put up literally is all the content in Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Hungary, India, New Zealand, Sri Lanka, Switzerland, and the US. Basically, you know, one through five, obviously they published one through 10. Mindy Kaling, who's the star of Never Have I, Never Have, Never Have I Ever, um, which was 10, number one in 10 different countries, tweeted this the other day. But what I thought was interesting was, yes, obviously that her show is one in 10 countries is amazing. But I thought what was also interesting is one, how big a movie like Extraction can be all over the world. So that's a huge movie, a Netflix original movie, but also just how similar tastes are all around the world. And then you look at something like Last Dance, which is doing really well on ESPN in the US. It comes to Netflix on July 19th and you see it's you know top 10 in a lot of countries all over the world. I mean, the fact that Michael Jordan's number two in New Zealand, number five in Hungary, number two in Australia, to me, it just shows you the global power of Netflix. But to, to Walt's question, it sort of answers it. There's just so much content that, yes, you can binge any one thing on any one day and then cancel if you wanted to. But there's another new show that you want to see two or three days later. And so it's, it's the there is so much. That's what they're doing to fight churn versus stretching a little stuff out over a long period of time, which is what a Showtime or an HBO historically is done. And I think when HBO Max launches, they're going to finally reverse that. And you're going to see, they're going to have so much content that I wonder whether they'll actually eventually take a different strategy to how they release. So the problem is it, it takes a while, I would think, to get to that point, you know, whether it's yeah. HBO, but what about Apple? I mean, like Apple spent all this money and they basically have one or two shows. I tried that defending Jake. Is that huh? Apple or Amazon? I can't remember. Um, but how, unless you get some type of major thing, it goes back to it goes back to the Kafka tweet, which is you'll flip it on for a month. You may not even have to pay because you get a free month. Or there was the other thing that someone I think it was Kafka also surfaced this, where if you reset your iPad, you can somehow get another your free free year of uh, service reset for for Apple TV. It, look, it, it, it's all about price to value and the amount of content. And if you look at Netflix you know, it's actually growing faster than Hulu. Like everyone focuses on the Hulu subscriber growth, which has actually been pretty robust over the last year, but Hulu's ARPU is coming down. Netflix is actually growing revenues faster than Hulu because they've got pricing power because not only are the subs sticky, but you can raise the price and people don't leave because there's just too much content now. Like it's just, mm -hmm. Brandon's basically nailed, I think the way to think about this, Netflix has become basic cable. You may churn in and out of Showtime or churn in and out of Disney Plus or churn in and out of pick your service.
but Netflix is what is today basic cable. It's a is great it, analogy. Is there any type of roll-up or fire hose production that could, could somehow leap someone up to that point where they weren't doing the flip-on, flip-off? What do you mean in terms of like how could you aggregate content. these like services? Someone, someone that would, would get enough content like Netflix that they would – that that monthly churn is not an issue when the hot show comes on and then- and Well, then HBO Max, again, we brought, we brought it up earlier, is trying to be that now. Broad appeal, is there anyone a else lot of content. Well, let, let, let's go to the last slide because I think it, it fits with that question, Walt, on the last slide that we have for today, which is actually, this is a Hollywood Reporter story of how Little Fires Everywhere, which is one of the biggest shows on Hulu this year, how Amazon Prime just bought the rights to it overseas because Hulu isn't international. And so one of the things to your question really is Disney Plus is a global service, but Hulu isn't. ESPN Plus isn't. And so Disney's sort of taken this approach of rather than have a global everything service the way Netflix does or the way Amazon does or the way Apple has, they're basically going very geographically narrow with Hulu and ESPN plus and only broad with Disney. And so it's very hard to have that kind of everything service. I think HBO Max is going to be the first one in terms of traditional media. They're going to be the first ones to try to replicate what Netflix, Amazon, and Apple are, are doing. And even Apple really hasn't done it because as you know, we've talked about this before. It's just no catalog. Yeah, there's no so catalog. what else what else let's say you wanted to increase HBO Max's chances for success. What other types of things would you either purchase or produce? Well, there's an obvious one. Position no, to succeed? there's one obvious one. They have the, one of the world's greatest movie studios in Warner Brothers. You don't need to release those movies into theaters. And so Scoobed later this month is coming out direct on um, streaming or sorry, direct on, you know, they're going to go direct to the PVOD, basically premium video on demand. But look, you could easily post HBO Max launch don't do PVOD, just go straight to HBO Max. Like take your movies. Disney's not willing to do this because they just can't make the math work in their heads, although it really would work. But it, you know, if you took their best movies, take Wonder Woman 1984, which is coming out supposedly in August this year. If you put that onto HBO Max, you'd get a lot of subscribers and you would really increase the quality of the content, increase the value perception of the service, that's how you play the long game here. It's expensive. They're gonna have to pay up to do it because they gotta, you know, they gotta basically pay off the talent up front. But if you want to win long term, I think using, you know, the best blockbuster movies directly to these streaming services it means blowing up the theatrical window. But if you sort of listen to what John Stanky said in the last conference call, blowing it up or removing it altogether. Not removing it. I think some people will always want to go to a movie theater to get away from their kids or kids want to get away from He's their parents. Have it in the theater, then bring it, bring it into the uh, HBO Max soon thereafter. Yeah, a couple of weeks. I don't know. Even day and day, two weeks yeah, later, day, three weeks later. Or a short window. Yeah. I mean, my kids don't understand why you have to wait to see movies at home. Like, it, it's not obvious to anyone other than, you know, our little world of like, why does it have 90 days that it sits you know, between theaters and the home. And it's, there's no good reason for it other than the theaters have prevented it historically. And hopefully with theaters being closed, there's sort of a unique window of opportunity for, you know, studios to act on it and change the business. So that seems like a no brainer is, do you think at t is just afraid of hurting, hurting their, their theater relationships? I mean, 
Look, the problem is there's one company basically inhibiting this, which is Disney. Disney controls 50% of global box office and Disney, do, Disney looks at Avengers, which I know you guys both loved. Um, Avengers, <laughs> Avengers made nine superhero movies. Avengers made $900 million of profit. <laughs> profit. Disney doesn't know how to replicate that in a Disney Plus world at $599. They'd have to raise the price. They'd have to totally change their business model, fire thousands of employees that they wouldn't need anymore in, in parts of their business. Like, it's very disruptive. And so, it, look, I think it's a no-brainer sitting from where we look, looking at the tech world. I think if you're, you grew up in these businesses, it's not a no-brainer. And, you, 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 you know, it's like if you know how to, you know, build bicycles or cars, that's what you know how to do. Building rocket ships is not in your wheelhouse. Like, it's just – it's a totally different – um, business model, and it's just not what they do. HBO could do it, though, right? Forget about Disney. I mean, well, HBO. I think the reason it's interesting that you say that is I would have said I was skeptical until six weeks ago. I think now with Jason Kalar, who just did his first kind of welcome to the troops yesterday at Warner Media, coming from Hulu, coming from Amazon, if there's one person who understands Netflix and is going to be willing to break glass, to build for the long-term and sacrifice short-term profits. I think it's Jason and the Warner Media team. I think people are not focusing enough on what a big deal that hire is. Cool. Can't wait. All right. Well, that brings That's us episode to the three of another episode of, of the Nameless Show. Of, of something. Of light on, light off. Okay. <laughs> Light on my <laughs> Have a good weekend, everyone. I don't, I don't understand what's going on. I think that there's demons in my computer. <laughs> I'm red, so there's obviously demons in mine, too. It's, it's weird. I put my hand up, and it sort of changes. Like, I just don't understand the redness. Rich, you, you spent a lot of money on all of this you know, in-home studio equipment. I got to figure this out. I will. Yeah. I promise by next week. All right. We'll see you Later, next everyone. week, guys.